Amen. Let's clap our hands unto the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times, and His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Thank you today, Jesus, for the wonderful name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. What is just so wonderful to see you all here tonight. You all just look so, I don't know, extravagant. I was trying to think of just a better word, but that's the, the first one that came to me. Some of you are laughing. You don't believe it, but you just look wonderful tonight, and uh, I'm glad that we can gather together and worship God. Uh, and so why don't you do this before the class is dismissed? Why don't you walk around and greet one another, and, uh, and then we'll come back and open up the word tonight. Amen. Why don't we all gather back together, and they're going to hand out uh, the sheet for tonight. And you may be seated. How, how many of you know that we serve a God that answers prayers? That's, that's, a, that's an easy statement to get Pentecostals excited. I, I shared this story with some. Um, but maybe not with all. Uh, when Angie, Ellie, and I went uh, on vacation, uh, we went and uh, stayed in the Smoky Mountains. And the first thing we did when we got there is we went to the ranger station and uh, wanted to just see, we wanted to do some hiking, and so we wanted to see kind of some paths they'd recommend. And so we had this nice older lady that just, you could tell she loved her job. And so she was showing us the, where to find the best waterfall and where to find the best scenic views. And, and, uh, and she said, in closing, she said, you know, this is bear season. She said, bears are out in full force. They're uh, eating and gaining about one to five pounds a day because they're about to go into hibernation. And so if you're walking and you see a bear, um, the best thing to do is just, just freeze they're not worried about you. They're black bears. They're not grizzlies. They're not going to attack you. They shouldn't. Um, uh, but just leave them alone. And so we got in our car, and, and Ellie said, man, wouldn't it be cool to see a black bear? And I said, that would be awesome. And I said, you know what? I think, you know, God is our father, and I don't think there's you know, there are foolish requests, but I think we can come to our Father and ask him for maybe a selfish request. So I said, let's pray. And so we prayed, and I said, God, we want to see a black bear. And that might seem like a foolish request, but would you allow us over the course of these next three days to see a black bear? So we went and did some things, and about two hours later, we're driving, and he goes, look, a bear! And so we pulled off into a little area, and there's this bear about, uh, you know, 100, 150 yards away, and we just marveled, and we laughed, and we said, listen, God answers prayer. And so we were so thankful for that. And so we woke up the next day, and we, we made our way to this waterfall, and we got on the hike and uh, decided that we got on the hike late, and it was a pretty uh, far distance to get to where we wanted to go, and by the time we'd be back, it would be pitch dark in the woods, and that's just, you know, for people like myself, that is not, that's a recipe for disaster. And so we got about, you know, a quarter of the way into the trip, and I said, ladies, we're not going to make it, let's head back. And so we started on our way back. And uh, there was a bridge that went over the river that separated the path from the parking lot. And we were about to cross it, and Angie said, this is a great photo opportunity. Why don't you and Ellie get on the bridge, and I'll go down by the, the water and take a picture of you. And so she went down, and, and as I was going up there, I said, you know what? Why don't you come, and I'll take the picture. You know, I'm trying to score some brownie points wherever I can. And, and so I, if you know something about me, I'm very task-oriented. 
Um, I see the task, and a lot of times I can be blinded to everything else. And so the task was go get the camera from Angie. And so I started with my head down, and when I picked up my head from me to Nick was a black bear walking at me. And now, I don't know about you, but I'm not an outdoorsy type person. Um, I've rarely seen a deer up this close unless they were in an enclosure. And, and so I did what any normal person would do. I went, ah! <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't preemptively plan on doing it. It just came out of me. I, I didn't know I could hit that high of a note. I'm probably going to try out to be a soprano in the choir this. And it freaked out the bear. And, and then I continued on my way, and I got down to Angie, and she said, why did you scream? And I said, oh, I, I almost ran into a bear. And she said, well, why did you tell me? And so then we went and chased the bear. So, <laughs> long story short, God answers prayers. But sometimes we need to be specific about the prayers we pray. God, I'd like to see a bear while I'm in the car, and it's outside of the car. Amen. <laughs> it's going to be the hardest transition to the lesson today. It has nothing to do with what I'm teaching about. I just thought it was a good story and wanted to tell it. In Matthew 25, um, Jesus tells a parable uh, giving us greater understanding of the kingdom of heaven. And you'll notice throughout the Gospels, there are parables that start off, the kingdom of heaven is like. And so that gives us some understanding or enlightening of what the kingdom is like. And, and, and so he says it's, it's like a man that was traveling, and he entrusted, and he begins to tell, he entrusted his servants with talents. You've heard this parable before. It's, it's been preached many times. Uh, to one he gave five, uh, to the, the next he gave two, and to the last he gave one. And, and, and you, know, you know the story, the, the, the person who had five and the person who had two, when, when he gets back from his trip, they doubled what was entrusted to them. And, and we know, maybe you don't, but, but when I read it, you'll remember, when the master deals with them, and remember this is, this is giving a peek behind the curtain of what the kingdom of heaven is like, the master says to those servants who have doubled what was entrusted them. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Good and faithful. Now, I, I, looked, up, I looked up the Greek word of good, and you know what it means? It means good. <laughs> Pretty much every rendition you read it in, it's good. They're good and faithful. But the reason that they're good and faithful is because they were fruitful with what was entrusted to them. They, they didn't just protect the talents as the third one did. He, he was afraid. He knew he was a hard master, and he said, so I hid it. But they were productive with the talents. And as a result, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. And we see something in the parable that fruitfulness and faithfulness go hand in hand. And so in the next two weeks, I want to address each of these individually. And tonight I want to talk to you about being a fruitful Christian, a fruitful Christian. Believe it or not, Jesus has a lot to say on this topic, and we're going to explore a lot of his words when it comes to being fruitful. And I launched from tonight in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 16, and he lays some principles. Now, Context is important, but it really isn't everything in this passage. He's, he's talking to them about being aware of false prophets and how they would know and how they would be able to tell uh, if someone was a false prophet. And he says this in verse 16, You will know them by their fruits. Do, man, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The obvious answer is no. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. It's, it kind of sounds like a Dr. Seuss book, right? Um, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. And so I think um, we can apply some principles from this passage and, and get an idea of what fruitfulness looks like. And so I want to give you just a couple principles of fruitfulness as we uh, start off this journey together. And the first one is this, and this is in your handout, and it's very simple, and it's very clear because it's the way the Scripture starts. We are known by our fruit. 
Scripture very clearly tells us this. Jesus tells us this. You will know them by their fruits. The Jews, the Greeks, the Romans, they all viewed this idea the same, and we do it today. Nothing's changed. Yes, we're a Western 21st century world, but we look at it the same way. A a tree is judged by what it produces. Think about the trees in your yard. Think about, uh, you know, we have a tree in our yard that is dead. It's a bad tree. There's no way that it can produce good fruit. It's dead. There's, there's no life in it. We, we cut branches off, and there's, there's not even a, a little bit of life, no leaves that are on it. Good trees bring forth good fruit. Bad trees bring forth bad fruit. You could call the tree whatever you wanted, but the fruit would be the determining factor. So you could, you could say, alas, this is a pear tree, and then pick off an apple. But regardless of what you called it, the fruit tells you what it really is. And and we understand that the character of a tree is determined by the contents it produces. The same is true for us. If we want to know the character of a person, look at the fruit they produce. And I know this is maybe painstakingly obvious, but I, I need to just settle here for a little bit. Our fruit as Christians is the inevitable result of who we are. You might say, this is who I am, but your fruit says, no, this is who you actually are. And this is probably the biggest hang-up at times that the outside world has with the church, is there are a lot of people that claim something, and they have no fruit to show for it. Yeah, you call yourself a Christian, but the fruit you produce is the indicator if the contents match the label. And so you can go to Pick and Save tonight and you can get some canned peaches and if you open it up and it's olives, you'll be very disappointed. And unfortunately, there are people that get close to someone who says there's something, but when the contents of their life are opened up, they go, wait, wait, that's what a Christian is? It doesn't look any different than anyone else. You'll know them, he said, by their fruits. Let's take it a step further. Uh, Number two in your handout, our fruit reveals the health of our roots. He said, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Again, it seems very clear. Our our conduct, our, our character, our conversation, all of those things, brothers and sisters, are revealing because they speak to our health or the lack thereof. And so our fruit then becomes an indicator of the root system. Jesus said it a little bit differently. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He said, so you want to know the root system, listen to the way they talk. If they're constantly uh, dropping innuendos and are coarse in their language and crude, you can tell there's something that is off in the root system. Our, our fruits are an indicator of the roots. And so let, let's look at a couple different types of fruits. And, and this is in your handout as well. The, the first thing is good fruit. Good fruit. Good fruit is what we're after and what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about. But good fruit is revealing of a deep, healthy, and connected root system. When you see someone who's, who's producing fruit in their life, you can tell that they're connected. You can tell that they're healthy. doesn't mean they're perfect. None of us are perfect. But it can show that there's health. Now, now the second thing is bad fruit. Bad fruit is revealing something unhealthy. So if, if good fruit reveals healthy, see what I've done here? Bad fruit is revealing something unhealthy. This is good, right? We're, we're, going, we're, we're just leaning deep into this tonight. This is deep. At the core of bad fruit is is faulty thinking, misplaced priorities, and misalignment in the Word of God. It's something is off with your life. If the fruit you if the words that come out of your mouth, if, if the things that you produce, if you're constantly getting fired and you can never hold a job, and, and your relationships are crumbling, and the words you speak are constantly negative, I can I don't have to be a deep scholar, I don't have to be used in the gift of discernment, but I can say from what I see, 
there's something unhealthy about the root system, about, about what's deeper in your life. Or how about rotten fruit, the third one? Rotten fruit, and maybe I've taken a little bit of a stretch in this, but rotten fruit, I said, is revealing of declining health in our root system. It may speak of past fruit, and we have people who do that. They, they say, and they hold on to what they've done in the past. Yeah, yeah, I, I did this, but what are you doing? That, that's great that you taught a Bible study 20 years ago, but the calling hasn't changed as you move forward. And so you may have the semblance of fruit, but what's taking place now? Rotten fruit can speak of present decline. And the last thing is no fruit. It's a revealing a state of atrophy in the root system. Jesus, there's, there's a story, and, it, and it's kind of, of, of unique, and, and really, it's actually a whole lot deeper than I'm going to go tonight. But in Matthew 21, Jesus is out, and he's hungry. In verse 18, it says he's hungry. And then verse 19, it says, And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. It seems pretty harsh. Immediately, the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled. This is, this is one of those things of just being close to Jesus. This wasn't, this wasn't a miracle. This wasn't saying, arise. This wasn't the leper. This wasn't the teaching. But this is just doing life with Jesus and watching Jesus come up to a tree, and he sees the leaves, and he expects fruit. Because here's the unique thing about a fig tree. A fig tree produces the fruit first and then the leaf. And so from every look and indicator, there should have been fruit on it. And it makes me wonder how many Christians do the part and they look the part. They, they want to look as if they're fruitful. They come to church on Sunday and, and the activity that they output is revealing that I'm fruitful, but it's all a show because when you go closer, yeah, there's leaves, but where's the fruit? And Jesus said, it's not enough for there just to be leaves. This is not just about being ornamental or pretty or, or standing out, but there should be more to you. There should be substance over flash. And we have a world that celebrates flash, and we have many people who have ministries that are like firecrackers. They go off, and they're beautiful, and everyone goes, ooh and ah, and then it fades off, and everyone goes, whatever happened to that person? Well, they were flash, but no substance. They had the leaves that gathered everybody. That they had the charisma, but they didn't have the character. We need both. So God, Jesus, he curses the tree because it's unhealthy. As Christians, we're to be fruitful. And this goes into the last one, and then we'll roll up our sleeves and get into it. As Christians, we're to be fruitful because God desires us to be fruitful. I can't think of a, a, a more clear, more obvious, more, uh, I mean, we could end here just with this statement. God desires us to be fruitful, so therefore we should be. Two, two very important questions maybe every Christian asks, most Christians. First, what does God want me to do with my life? Secondly, how can I know that I'm pleasing God with my life? And I think both of those questions can be answered in John chapter 15 and verse 8. And we're going to explore this a little bit more in the in, in the later part of this lesson, but John 15, 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. It, my Father is glorified. God is glorified. You see, when our lives bear fruit, it, it's not, we live in this, this Western world that has said everything is about us, our comfort, how we feel, what's important to us. But Jesus told his disciples, it's not really about you. Everything is about the kingdom of God. He, he said, really, even the, the, the righteousness, the, the ability for you to walk uh, a righteous life, you may think it's just so you get into heaven, but your righteous living is so that the world around you can see your Father and glorify him in heaven. And so everything that our life produces is not for us. It's so that the kingdom of God can be advanced. And so when our life bears fruit, the kingdom of God is advancing. 
It's not about look at me, look what is on my tree. No, it's about this is for the kingdom. Because we're seeking first the kingdom of God. The second thing is it's God's goodness and mercy are revealed in us and through us. Simply put, and I believe this is in your, in your fill in the blanks, when we bear fruit, our life glorifies and pleases God. And that's the most important thing. That's what we're after, brothers and sisters. We want to have a life that's fruitful, not so that we get position, not so that we get recognized, not so that we get notoriety, not so that people come up and compliment us. No, 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 no. We want to bear fruit so that our Father is glorified and that He is pleased with our life. Since the beginning, God's desire was fruitfulness. It always has been, and it continues to be. Look at the creation story. God is interested in fruitfulness. This is in your handout. And number one, he commanded the earth to be fruitful. Genesis 1 and 11, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb, the yield seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yielded fruit. Look at, he, he, he makes trees and grass, and he says, Be fruitful. I don't want dead trees in my garden. I don't want withered grass. The thorns were the curse. That was the byproduct of sin entering the world. But the perfect environment in which God created was fruitfulness, that the trees and that things would produce. Number two, he commanded the fish and the birds to be fruitful. Verse 21 of Genesis 1, So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the water abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, Be fruitful and multiply. I don't want you just to sit in someone's aquarium somewhere. I want you to be fruitful. I didn't make you to look majestic just so that you could go around and every fish in the sea goes, whoa. No, be fruitful and multiply. Lastly, or number three, he commanded mankind to be fruitful. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created he them. Then God blessed him and said, be fruitful and multiply. Isn't it crazy that as we see our world break down, that as the homosexual movement is pushed and transgenderism is pushed, that this ideology that the world is pushing is to stop being fruitful and multiplying. For, for the first time in a long time, if you look at the world uh, estimation of growth, it's getting to a place of stagnation because people are saying, I don't need to have children. And the age of which people are having children is getting older and older and older. I need to figure out my calling. I need to uh, get a career. I need to get a house. And God said, no, no, no. I made you a woman so that you could be connected. And then now that you're connected, be fruitful and multiply. You did do your part. I heard you. Number four, he commanded Noah after the flood to be fruitful. After destruction came upon the earth, and, and that family gets off of the ark. God blesses Noah and Genesis 9 and 1 and his sons. And he says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so since creation, fruitfulness was important. It, but it was also expected by God. God's desire is for reproduction and fruitfulness in his creation. And the same is true for us. We're a new creation. And so we're recreated to bear fruit. So, so how do we bear fruit? Or, or what is the process of bearing fruit? Both very good questions. I'm glad you asked them. Let's talk about this. Con consider with me the, the natural process. Okay, and this is in, in your handout. And number one, the process of bearing fruit. All fruit begins with a seed. 1 Peter 1 and 22 says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Then listen to this part. Having been born again, okay, we understand being born again. That's, that's we're born, Jesus told Nicodemus, you're born again of the water and of the spirit. We see that it's poured out in Acts chapter 2. And when they're confused and say, what is this? Peter says, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We understand that is the born again message. He said, having been born again, 
but not of corruptible seed. Remember, Nicodemus was confused. How, how can a man enter his mother? That doesn't make sense. He said, no, but it's an incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So, so we are born again of the incorruptible seed of his word. That seed has the life of God locked up in it. And when it is planted in us, it produces the harvest of his life. Uh, when we're born again, if I can say it this way, because Jesus did, we become a part of his vineyard. Jesus said this in John 15 and 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And so, so God invested and gave freely his spirit to us, and he gave us his word. And this goes into the next point. And the next point is this, that the seed needs good soil and nutrients to grow. Again, I understand this might seem basic, but this is very important to our life as Christians. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells of another parable. Uh, it's a parable of a sower that sowed seed. Say that a couple times fast. And throughout Scripture, you have to understand something. The Word of God is often symbolized by seed or as food. And the Spirit is symbolized as water. He said, out of your bellies shall flow rivers of living water. And, and as he tells us, uh, he says there's this sower that goes out to sow seed, and he, he casts some seed uh, on the path, and the birds ate it. Okay? So we're getting the picture that the seed, which is the word, he, he later tells his disciples this, that it's important where it lands. He says, and it lands on the path, the birds immediately come, and they devour it. Next, it goes on to the rocky places, and, and it grows quickly, but because it doesn't have a good root system, when the sun comes, it's scorched immediately. Then, then some fell among the thorns, and when it grows, the thorns and the thistles choke it out and, and, and suck the life out of it, and it dies. And lastly, the good soil is where the last part goes, and it produces a crop of 160 and 30 times what was sown. And, and Jesus concludes, and, and he says this, he says, in Matthew 13 and 23, but he who received seed on the ground is he who hears the word and understands it. And so we understand the principle that just coming to church and being here is not enough. That, that, that the soil of my heart, there are, there are people today that life has hardened the soil. And, and there's so many thorns and thistles. And, and, and we know that the, the, the birds are representative of the enemy who comes in and devours it. And so we get this idea that in order for us to bear fruit, we have to have the seed get inside of us. And so to go to church and to come away and say, I don't even know what they talked about. That, that's the enemy snatching the seed as soon as you walk out of the parking lot. And there are people where that happens, where, where they come to, you, you think, why do, we, why do we pray, Lord, uh, open our eyes, open our heart? Because I am just a man, but I know that when the word goes forth, it has this ability to get in, but we can block it. That, that's why if you're here in church, the most disrespectful thing you can do is be sitting there on your phone. Why do you come to church if you're not interested? Why, why do you come to church? I already know this. Well, okay. Why aren't you teaching Bible studies? You may not know it that well. And so we should be dialed in. I've learned that no matter who is opening the word of God, there's always something to be gleaned. That any time somebody gets up, I've, I've been to places where someone gets up and they muddle through five minutes and I walked away going, whoa, I got something. Because anytime, the scripture says the word of God does not return void but it accomplishes its purpose. That's Isaiah 55 and 10. He said, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but waters the earth and make it bring forth in blood, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, 
but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things for which I send. So my job is to prepare room so that when I come to church, I'm ready to receive the word. I'm going to clear out the clutter. I'm going to break the soil up. I'm going to pull the weeds. I'm going to shoo the birds away, and I'm going to say, God, I'm ready to receive the word because he said that if I'm ready to receive the word, it's going to get planted into my heart, and it's not going to return void. That's why we have to trust that we have maybe some backslidden children and friends that are gone. And maybe they're not here, but they were here. And we can't discount the word that came across the pulpit. Yeah, they might say they're atheists. They might say they're agnostic. They might say they want nothing to do with God. But that word is still hidden in there somewhere. And in their darkest night, when they're all by themselves, and when they think, I don't care about God, that word is going to take root. And he's going to say, listen, you may have forgotten about this, but I'm going to bring it to your memory. And I'm going to let you know I'm still here, and I still love you, and my word is still true. Thankful for the word of God. Number three, fruitfulness is the natural product of spiritual maturity. Paul was really giving the Hebrews a hard time. And he says this in Hebrews 5 and 12. He says, for, the, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracle of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. He, he said, listen, the result or the claim that you're a mature Christian isn't how long you've been in the church. You don't understand, I'm an elder. I've grown up in this, and I'm not dis- dis- disrespecting our elders. I love all of our elders. But, but just because you've been in the church for 15 years, spiritual maturity is that you can take that, and I don't need to be bottle-fed. I'm not on formula, but I'm feeding myself. And I come to church and I say, listen, pastor, I've already fed myself today. But guess what? I left a little bit of room, so feed me some more. But if you don't feed me, if there's a blowout service and God decides to do something else, I don't need to eat because I already ate. That's what we get wrong with fasting. We, We look at fasting as a diet process. No, fasting, when you fast a meal, you should be replacing the times you eat with the word of God. When you fast, you shouldn't be praying the same amount of time that you pray when you're not fasting. You shouldn't be reading the word of God the same amount that you're reading it when you're not fasting. No, when you're fasting, you're saying, God, I'm feasting on your word. I'm feasting on your presence. I'm opening myself up and I'm digging into it and I want to know you more. So he said, by this time, you should have grown up. You should have transitioned from Gerber baby to to it, at least the, the, the dissolvable ones that you put in your mouth and you can't chew it. So we go through the maturity process. He says, when, when that happens, you'll bear fruit. Jesus reiterated this importance in John chapter 15. And I want to make just a couple more connections and then we'll get into what fruit looks like. John 15 and 1, I already read verse 1 where he said, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And then verse 2, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, verse 4, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bear much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. There's a lot of things that I could say, but I just wanted to say three additional things. Number one, which is number four in your handout. One bears fruit by staying connected to the vine, which is Jesus. This is why if you've been living for God for but a minute, you can say, I hear you talk so much about prayer and worship and relationship and connection because that's how we stay connected to the vine. It's when we sever ourselves from the vine that we start withering. He said, without me, you can do nothing. Don't try to do something. If you're going to get out in front of me, you're going to fall because without me, you can't do anything. Number five, one bears fruit by allowing his word 
to abide in us. You, you heard it in verse 7, if you abide in me and my word. So it's not enough for us to just abide in him. He says, now, now my word needs to abide in you. So, so that gives us some context that, that maybe just reading the word of God is not enough. But you don't understand, I read the word every year for the last 20 years. Okay, but have you studied it? So, so do you know what you're reading? Or, or do you still feel like the, the Ethiopian who's sitting there looking puzzled, saying, I have no idea what this is talking about. And, and so he says, for, for my word to abide in you, you need to not just read it, you need to study it. Uh, David said, uh, I've hidden his word in my heart that I might not sin against him. It wasn't just from osmosis. He says, no, I, I study my, to show myself approved unto God because the more of the word that gets inside of me. So that, that also means memorization. That, that it's not enough to just have a, a group of young kids who can memorize 100 to 200 scriptures a year, but we don't know any scriptures. We, we, should, we should know Acts 2.38 like this. We should know Deuteronomy 6.4. We should, we should know Ephesians chapter 4. There should be scriptures that we have memorized so that when somebody asks you about the hope that lies within you, you don't go, oh, I know there's a scripture, but you should be able to say, hey, it's very clear in John chapter 3, verses 3. In Acts chapter 2, verses 38. And so we should memorize the word. You should also meditate on the word. I mean, there's times where you need to slow down your reading, and after you read, you need to have a Selah moment where you pause and you let the word of God come into you. And you say, God, I don't, what does that mean for me today? What are you trying to show me through your word today? And ultimately, this should, should come together by us applying the word of God in our life, not just reading it, not just being hearers of the word but being doers of the word. The last thing, verse, and, and number six, is one bears fruit by allowing God to prune the unproductive parts of their life. I know this is the part that hurts, but, but listen to what he said. He said in verse two, in every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. He didn't say the dead, dying parts he prunes. He said, no, the parts that are fruitful, he prunes it. And that's why it can be sometimes we're doing something for God and something happens. And we think, why is this happening? Why, is, why, is, why does it seem like I'm, I'm living my best life right now for God, but, but things are, I feel like I'm going through a storm and God's saying, listen, there's fruit, but, but I'm going to refine it even more so that when you come through this, there will be even more fruit. I, I'm getting ready to mow down some bushes in my yard. And, and to those bushes that don't know what's coming for them, it's going to be painful, and they're going to be screaming and crying when the hedger goes. <laughs> but you know what? I've done it more than once, and I know, that I can, I know the, the ones that I can just level to the ground I remember the first year we had a certain plant, and I just took them down to the ground. It was a risk. I didn't know they'd come back. And Angie goes, why did you do that? And I said, I think they come back. She said, will they? I said, well, we'll see next year. And next year they came back fuller, and they came back more beautiful. And that's what happens sometimes in our life. We go through refining moments where God allows things to be cut away from us. Things that, that we were proud of, things that we were happy about. And God's saying, yeah, you're proud of that. I'm going to cut it away. But by cutting it away, just watch what will happen as a result of it. You see, I'm getting myself into something that's not even in my notes. Um, I'm going to leave that for another day. Yeah, I'm going to leave that for another day. Jesus told a parable of the unfruitful tree. And I think we need to talk about this also for a second. In Luke 13 and 6, he said, uh, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it down. And, and so... I think there's a couple lessons here. The, the first, and, and this may be redundant, but the first is the owner expected fruit from the tree he had planted and invested in. If you plant something and you invest in it, you expect an intended result. 
If you die on the cross for something and you shed your blood for it and you give it opportunity, you expect an intended result. And the Lord has given us his spirit, not just so that we can feel goosebumps and can be used in the gifts. He's given us his spirit so we can be his witnesses. He's given us his spirit so that there can be fruit from our life. Number two, the tree was cultivated in a vineyard and it was cared for by a steward. It was cultivated in a vineyard and it was cared for by a steward. Understand this. It wasn't just left to fend on its own. But it was provided and cared for with water and optimal sunlight. When fruitfulness wasn't happening, there wasn't a plan. There was a plan to correct it. Let's fertilize it. Let's, let's dig a breach. And so what I don't want you to think, I, I don't want you to think that when storms in your life come, that God's angry with you. Maybe he knows there's some unfruitfulness in your life, and he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let this come, and I'm going to let this nudge you back to the place that I know that you need to be. You've gotten off the path. I'm going to let this come. And if you allow it to, now you, you, can, you can get bitter and you can get angry with God and you can get resentful and you can fold your hands across your chest and say, I'm done with this. Or you can lean into it and say, hey, listen, maybe I haven't been given my all. Maybe I haven't been doing what he's called me to do. And so he always has mercy and grace. And so if it's been years since you've been fruitful, this is not to condemn you. I'm not trying to beat you over the head. I'm not trying to make you feel like you're less than or a terrible person. I'm trying to say that, that the Lord is providing opportunity. He's saying, listen, I'm coming back soon. I need all my laborers to be working. I need all my, my trees to be producing fruit. I need all my vines to be connected to me. And number three, and this is speaking to the end, a failure to produce fruit would result in the destruction of the tree. The, the failure to produce as a Christian will eventually be met on the day of judgment. 1 Corinthians 3, and I'll let you read it on your own time, 3 and 13 through 15, it talks about works on that day, gold and silver, hay and stubble, and it's all going to be passed through the fire, and it's going to be tested. We can't hear good and faithful servant if we weren't good and faithful. The one who took what he had and was so afraid and hid it, he said, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. He said, you wicked and slothful steward. You could have at least put it in the bank and drawn interest off of it. You could have at least collected something off of it, but you did nothing. Cast this one into utter darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So let's close with this. What type of fruit should we bear? Seems like a good question. We've been talking about being fruitful, so how do I know if I'm fruitful? I mean, I eat fruity pebbles every day. That's the fruit that we should be eating, right? So the first one is the fruit of discipleship. Jesus referred to making disciples a couple different ways. One way was as a harvest, and the other way as a fruit. Here's two examples of that. In John 4 and 35, Jesus says, Do not say, there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Romans 1, Paul talking about the Gentiles, he said this, Now I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. So we as Christians should seek to reproduce that which it has been produced in us. And, and so a part of that, what does the fruit of discipleship look like? Uh, the first thing is witnessing. Witnessing. Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. This is, this is a universal call to all of us. Everywhere we go, we should be the hands and feet of God. I guarantee you, I, I think, I heard in the news that, that somebody just won that one point whatever billion dollars. If that was you, I, I'm sure you would be like, hey, guess what? Maybe not. That's kind of dangerous. But, but, but think about something else good that has happened in your life. You want to share good news. Good news travels fast. And so the same should be true with our witness. That, that what God has done in us, that what God is doing through us, that what God is doing at this church, everywhere we go, we should be electrified. 
Sunday lives on Monday when we carry it through our week and we tell other people and witness about what God is doing in our life. The, the second thing is by teaching Bible studies. This is the call to every believer. Evangelism and discipleship are the primary calling in every Christian's life. Introvert, extrovert, I-G-A-M-F, E-F-M-M-O-P, whatever the other one or two on the Enneagram scale, whatever your number is, whatever your letter is, if there's an alphanumeric thing, whatever that is, we're all called to teach Bible studies. And lastly, mentoring others. We should be, we should be iron sharpening iron. We should be getting together with people and saying, hey, how are you doing? Our conversation as Christians naturally should be about Christ. And so when we get together, we should be talking about what God's speaking to us about, how we're growing, and we should be trying to invest in others. The next fruit we should bear is the fruit of the Spirit. And I'll go through this quick because I think in the future we need to lean into each of these uh, maybe a little longer. Galatians 5, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So understand, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. So this is not a buffet where we say, I'll take love and joy, but I'm going to have dinner with Jim tonight, and so I'm going to get rid of self-control. No, no, this is the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are the characteristics, the behaviors, and the attributes of God's nature that we begin to develop and manifest after we have been filled with His Spirit. And so, so a byproduct of a life that's walking in the Spirit should be that we should be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And so if our default emotions are hatred and anger and fear and impatience and impulsiveness, those are not the characteristics of Christ, which means maybe we're not walking in the Spirit like we should. The, the fruit is revealed in the Christian's attitude. Jesus said uh, to his disciples, if you have love one for another, the whole world will know you're my disciples. He, he said they're going to know by, by the characteristics, by the attitude, by the way you treat one another, they'll be able to know and understand. And so a maturing Christian, as a maturing Christian, our attitude, temperament, and responses should reflect the continued influence of the Spirit in our lives. It's important to note that the fruit of the Spirit happens as we, and this is the two fill in the blanks. The first is as we follow His leadership in our lives. And this is a life that is daily crucifying the flesh and walking in the Spirit. That, that as we walk in the Spirit, naturally we're following the leadership of Christ because we're being led by the Spirit. And the second thing is we crucify our flesh. That old nature, that's, that's a daily practice. Daily we have to do that. Daily we have to die to ourself because our flesh wants to control the last thing is the fruit of good works. Uh, there, there could have been a fourth, the fruit. Uh, John the Baptist talked about having fruit worthy of repentance, that, that as we truly repent, there should be an attitude or an action within us. But we'll, we'll settle with this one, the fruit of good works. Now understand, we're not saved by good works, but we are called to them. Paul said to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 2 and 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, God is pleased when we are fruitful in Christian behavior and disciplines. Colossians 1.10, That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so what does the fruit of good work look like? Number one, and this is not an exhaustive list. I, I tried to just choose some words that were all-encompassing. Number one is service, service to the kingdom. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, our, our main goal, brothers and sisters, should be service to the kingdom of God. 
It should be higher than our job. It should be higher than our devotion to our family. It should be higher than seeking first the kingdom of God. He said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be added unto you. If you take care of my kingdom, I'll take care of your life. You won't have to worry. Uh, look at the birds or the lilies of the field. They don't have to worry about what they're going to wear. They don't have to worry about being clothed because I take care of them. And he said, your life will be no different as long as you seek first my kingdom. Number two, benevolence. Giving to others. Sometimes maybe we just think about this uh, of giving of our tithes and offering, but, but we should as Christians be naturally giving of ourselves. James 1 and 26 says, If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, his religion is useless. And then he says, verse 27, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Giving of your time. Seeing needs. Not needing to be prompted to meet the need. Seeing somebody who's hurting and saying, Hey, I'm going to help you. Realizing I have the means. And so sometimes I know it's, it's, it's maybe a kind gesture to say I'm praying for you. But sometimes God shows us needs that need more than just our prayers. They need our actions. God is saying, listen, you're, you're the answer to that prayer. You can pray that God helps them, but they need someone in the flesh to go be a part of the solution. And the last thing is stewardship. It's how we manage our time, our talent, and our treasure. Our fruit, or the fruit of good works, glorifies God, and it draws others to him. Jesus said in, in Matthew 5 and 16, he said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good work and glorify your Father in heaven. And I close with just this scripture because I think it's so important. I think it's one we should memorize. John 15, 8. But this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. That's our goal. That's our calling. That, that's our decree. That when we go out from here, that we take inventory of our life and we say, God, how am I doing in the fruit of discipleship? Do I have any fruit to show for it? God, how am I doing in the fruit of the Spirit? And you can sometimes get a good indicator of that, of looking at your relationships, looking at the people you come in contact with. God, how am I doing in the fruit of good works? And if there are areas where you have maybe grown unfruitful, it's time to, to do some work. It's time to, to dig some ditches, get some miracle grow. And I don't know of a better miracle grow than a nice long fast. Crucifies the flesh and gets ourselves back in the mind of God so that God can speak to us and show us and call us deeper. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I love you so much. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful group of people. I pray that you would help us tonight to be fruitful fruitful Christians, that our life would overflow with what's been given to us, that, Lord, what we do would speak volumes and it would glorify you. God, I want to glorify you in my attitude, my actions, my behavior, and my conduct. So I pray that as we go from here, that it would be our desire to not just have uh, a practice, an orthopraxy, but, Lord, there would be an orthodoxy. Lord, we would, we would believe what we, we say and we would do it, God. Help us today. I love you, and I thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you all. See you on Sunday morning.